Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join me today for another episode of the life of David and me. Today, we will be going into 1 Samuel chapter 21 to 22. Not going into, what am I saying? We will be embarking, journeying through chapters 21 and 22. But before we begin, let's kick off with a news, not a news clip. Let's kick off with a video clip. And we'll be right back. So sit back, relax, enjoy the clip. Master Bruce, you live on an island figuratively and literally. Yeah, I love it. You can't spend the rest of your life alone, dressed in black, listening to angry music and staying up all night. Yes, I can, because I'm Batman. But don't you think it's time you finally faced your greatest fear? Snakes? No. Clowns? No. Snake clowns? Bruce, listen. Your greatest fear is... Humans do weird things when we're afraid. Whether it's a phobia, such as enclosed spaces, spiders, public speaking, the fear of death, the fear of snakes, clowns, and even snake clowns, or even fears of losing what they have, or what we have, such as our jobs, our pride our self-esteem, our identity, fear of losing our money, our family, our kids, etc. There's also the fear of the unknown future, unknown consequences, the fear of being pushed to do something that might not be right, but no one really knows for sure, the fear of making decisions, the fear of making commitments, the fear of not having absolutes, and the fear of not having definite answers. COVID, we're still in it, COVID brought out the fear of running out of toilet paper. Who knew that we would have the fear of running out of toilet paper if it wasn't for COVID? Buffets brought out the fear of running out of all-you-can-eat prawns. Who knew that humans would act like a bunch of chimpanzees after bananas when it comes to eating all-you-can-eat prawns. And rising house prices also brought out the fear of fear of missing out. Regardless of what we are afraid of, fear causes us to do things that are irrational, illogical, sometimes questionable, and in our case today with David and Saul, immoral, unethical, and most importantly, ungodly. Let's begin. See, David is now on the run. Saul wants to kill him. Why? Because Saul is jealous. And also, as we now come to know, Saul fears that David will take over his throne by force, i.e. he's fearing that David would assassinate him. Saul is afraid of David so much that he even tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, for taking an oath of friendship with David by throwing a spear at him. Luckily, he missed. Fear is driving Saul into insanity. 
David tried to talk some sense into Saul. Heck, even Samuel tried to talk some sense into Saul. Others have tried to talk some sense into Saul. David even tried to calm Saul down by serving Saul as best as he could, by playing the harp, leading military campaigns for Saul. But no matter how much David tried, Saul kept spiraling downward and out of control in his fears and, of course, identity complex. And so David had to run. He had to run for his life because he was afraid of Saul. But wait, you might ask, wasn't this the same David who just four chapters ago defeated Goliath? Wasn't this the same David who led Saul's armies into successful military campaigns against the Philistines? Wasn't this the same David who said, The Lord of heaven's armies is with me? What happened to all the bravado? What happened to all the machoism? Hey, what happened to his trust in God? Well, we have to remember that David is human like all the other Bible characters. David is human like us. Aside from Jesus, every person who God declared as righteous in the Bible was not perfect. Each person had their flaws, and the one big flaw that was really noticeable was fear. Abraham, the stalwart of faith. Well, he lied because he feared for his life. He said to everybody, he told everybody that Sarah was not his wife, but his sister. Isaac lied as well. He lied because he was afraid. And Jacob, boy, he was a pro in lying. Moses, because of fear, he fled Egypt. So it should not shock us that David fled out of fear, forgetting what God did for him already. That's actually quite comforting for all of us, isn't it? We shouldn't think that when we come to know Jesus Christ and believe in Jesus, that we will suddenly, out of nowhere, a snap of the fingers, we'll be perfect, flawless, godly human beings. No, that is so not true. Life with Jesus is an ongoing journey of intentionally purging our flaws by giving those flaws over to Jesus. So here's David being human, and that should be comforting for all of us who are human. Let's start with chapter 21, verse 1. David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Why are you alone? He asked. Why is no one with you? The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Now what is there to eat? All of a sudden, right? Out of nowhere, he asked for something to eat. Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. We don't have any regular bread, the priest replied. But there is the holy bread, which you can have if your young men have not slept with any women recently. Don't worry, David replied. I never allow my men to be with women when they are on a campaign. Like, how do you know for sure? And since they stay clean even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one? Since there was no other food available, the priest gave him the holy bread, the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced that day with fresh bread. 
David, on the run from Saul, because Saul wants to kill him, was afraid and he was starving. And Himelech, the priest, asked David why he was alone and was probably afraid for himself, since he must be wondering, if David is alone, is David running from a military campaign that he's losing in and enemies are at his tail? Was David a warning sign of incoming carnage into his village? David lied. Instead of telling Ahimelech the truth, i.e. he's running from Saul because Saul was insane and wants to kill him, David said he was on a solo recon mission and needed food for himself and his soldiers. Now, Ahimelech, being a good priest, Ahimelech offered David the bread of the presence, which was only for priests to eat. But because David was in need, Ahimelech gave the bread to him. Side note. To all of us who go to church, if you or someone who comes in to church and is seeking food and shelter, are we prepared to provide them with a sanctuary? Because that's what a sanctuary is, right? Sanctuaries are not built for the purpose of what we think it is today, i.e. sitting in rigid rows, staring at music bands, staring at speakers and PowerPoint slides. Sanctuaries are places where the distraught, the lonely, the hungry, and the sick can find opportunity to start getting full again, right? Let's get back to the point. Verse seven, now Dog, the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. Eugene Peterson said that the most appropriate definition of Dog was in this story was that Dog was the chief spy for Saul. In Hebrew, the chief herdsman is similar for being a chief spy. That's what Eugene Peterson argues. Dog was the chief of Saul's secret police, and I agree with Peterson on this one. Knowing Saul's behavior from prior chapters, Saul is now holding onto his power tightly in fear, and he is afraid of any possible rebellion against him. So, Saul has his secret police, and Dog was one of his chiefs. Dog was at church too that day when Ahimelech encountered David, and Dog is watching, taking notes, and eager to report this back to Saul. Unfortunately, let's contemporize this to today. Churches also have dogs, right? We have dogs in our churches. Not necessarily secret police, but people whose purpose in going to church is not about experiencing sanctuary or creating a sanctuary or providing a sanctuary for others. Instead, these dogs are there at church for selfish reasons, superstitious reasons maybe, business networks maybe, political gains, new clients for their investment ventures, etc. Some of these dogs are there at church just for the sake of gossiping. In other words, these people, these dogs, they're not there to build God's sanctuary but rather to exploit those who are in need of sanctuary. Hey, 
let's face it, folks, we're all human. We have a tendency, we have a tendency to do that too. We all have a tendency to be like a dog. What's happening today in our churches is currently happening and also happened in David's day and unfortunately also in Jesus' day. Let's move on in verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it, David replied. Give it to me. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Ashes of Gath. Okay, David noticed the secret agent, Dog. Remember, David served in Saul's court, so he pretty much knows Saul's employees, especially those who are in the top ranks. So, like John Wick, What's the first thing to do when you see an enemy? Is to get a weapon. For John Wick, it was a pencil. For David, it's a sword. And not just any sword, but ironically, it's Goliath's sword. Why is it ironic, I say? David trusted the Lord of Heaven's armies when he defeated Goliath. David's bravery and courage came from God. David wasn't afraid because he trusted God and therefore defeated Goliath. David, right now, again, is facing another Goliath, Saul. But this time, there is no mention of David seeking help from God. No mention of David praying. No mention of David worshiping God when he's in crisis in the same way he did before he faced Goliath. Remember that? So the author of the story He's creating this ironic twist, making us, the reader, wonder if by offering David Goliath's sword, will this jog David's memory and snap him out of his fear? Will this sword be a start of him trusting in God again? Well, I must say, not yet, because he kept running. But let's see how it goes. Verse 11. But the officers of Ashes were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David, the king of the land, they asked. Isn't he the one the people honor with dances, singing Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Ashes of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Finally, King Ashes said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? Out of fear, David pretended to be insane. So, we must be wondering, when is David going to face his fear and stand up to Saul, i.e. stop running? By the way, I never pictured David having a beard, did you? I always thought David was this clean-shaven Daniel Craig. But hey, there you go. Let's carry on chapter 22, verse 1. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Agilom. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. (laughs) Sounds like a story from Les Miserables, right? 
Later, David went to Mizpah in Moab, where he asked the king, Please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. One day, the prophet Gad told David, Leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. Now, David is soon joined by his entire family. Well, no kidding, right? Saul probably wants to kill them too, since they're associated with David. But not just their family who joined David, right? But also those who are no longer loyal to Saul, i.e. no longer loyal to a madman. Having witnessed this, having witnessed God's provision, David finally snaps out of his fear. He sees God's provision. He sees how God has kept his family safe. And now, in this short passage, David finally comes back around and is seeking God's guidance. And when he does, God provides David with a prophet, telling David to return to Judah. I.e., David, God is telling you to face Saul, mano y mano, face to face, in front of your fears. Don't be afraid. Face your fears. Finally, so what about Saul? Verse 6. The news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At the time, the king was sitting beneath a tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah. Holding his spear and surrounded by his officers, he said this, Listen here, you men of Benjamin, Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news. Has that son of Jesse promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it, my own son, encouraging him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day. Out of immense fear, people start lying to themselves and are convinced that their own conjured up lies are true. The 45th president, of the United States did the same thing. He lied. He conjured up lies and he was convinced about his own lies. So it happens to everyone, right? We all start thinking that people are against us. They're all conniving plans to hurt us. When really, we're just talking to ourselves and none of these things that we tell up to ourselves are true. Saul, out of fear, is talking nonsense here. David and Jonathan had no intent in killing Saul. And Saul's army and his generals have no intent in conspiring against him. Saul, out of fear, is being irrational and quite frankly, going insane. And this is where he's vulnerable to those who are opportunists like Dog. Interesting, isn't it? We are the same as well. Out of fear, we can open ourselves up being vulnerable to be exploited by slimy opportunists like dog. The elderly, for example, of today, out of fear of running out of money or out of fear about their health, they are prime targets for financial scams and health scams. People who fear illegitimacy, they are prone to pyramid schemes. People who fear of missing out, they are prone to get-rich schemes and are convinced by slimy sales pitches. Dog is a slimy opportunist and has now found an opportunity in Saul's sphere to exploit. 
Let's read the remaining passages in this chapter. Verse 9. Then Dog, the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. Well, no kidding, he would. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahadab. Ahimelech consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Knowing full well that Saul is in the height of his insanity, Saul's men didn't say anything, for they knew that Saul wasn't going to do anything rational, moral, or ethical if he did heard about it. This whole campaign of seeking out David to kill him was wrong, and all of Saul's men knew it. Hey, if someone is willing to spear his own son, that guy is nuts! And Saul's men knew it, except for Dog. Dog was a slimy opportunist. Dog spoke up because, hey, this is a great opportunity to get some recognition points for himself and have some career advancement, right? And of course, what resulted after Dog's report was no surprise. Verse 11. King Saul immediately sent for Ahimelech and all his family who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Ahitab! What is it, my king? Ahimelech asked. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day? David didn't do that, did he? But sir, Ahimelech replied, is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why, he is the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing at all of any plot against you. You will surely die, Hamilech, along with your entire family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Then the king said to Dog, you do it. So Dog, the Edomite, without any hesitation, turned on them and killed them that day. 85 priests in all by Dog, still wearing the, their priestly garments. Then Dog went to Nob, the town of priests, and killed the priests' families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. This is only by one guy. He did all that. Only Abiathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped and fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Dog the Edomite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life for the same person who wants to kill us both. Saul's actions were out of fear. Saul was convinced of his own lies, which led him to do a horrible act of violence and murder on the priests and their families. That's what fear can lead us to do. Now, Saul's actions were to the extreme, because not everyone's fears would lead to assassinations and murder, maybe. But I'm sure there were times when I myself did some things out of fear that I wasn't proud of. I'll give you some examples. Jumping to conclusions that may not be justified. Blaming people that I shouldn't be blaming. I should be blaming myself, but rather I was blaming people. Becoming defensive is another one. Unrepentant because I feared that I'll lose my authority or reputation. 
cajoling with people I shouldn't be. And like David, and like Saul, lying. Things that I am not proud of, but I did anyway because of fear. When I act out of fear, I know one thing for certain. People get hurt. When I act out of fear, I open myself up to slimy opportunists like people like Dog. People who would say things that, and say that I'm right when really I'm wrong. People that would cheer me on to do stuff that is not right when really I should be rebuked by godly people. People who would say that, keep going, John, you're doing right, ignore everybody else when really I should listen to God and listen to the Holy Spirit and godly people to rebuke me, to stop me from these actions. You know, these folks who I would call cheerleaders. Rather than giving the opportunity to godly people who can critique and rebuke me, out of fear, I gather cheerleaders who are just there for their own purposes. Slimy opportunists. They're opportunists thinking that they can cozy up to me. They can get what they want by patting me on the back. There's an old saying. Uh, one of my mentors back at uh, when I was working at a corporation, he goes like this. Beware of people patting you on the back. Why? Because they expect you to cough out something. Word from the wise. Let's continue. What did David tell Abiathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, who escaped and fled to David? He, David said, do not be afraid. This is pivotal. Remember David. He was running in fear from Saul. It was not until that turning point where he seeks God's guidance and then the prophet from God told him to go face his fear and do not be afraid. Well, what happens here? We see David no longer in fear, but rather telling Abiathar, do not be afraid as well, for you can trust in God. David, seeking guidance from God, obeying God's command in returning to Judah, not only that, but obedience comes with trusting in God. David is now going to face to face with Saul. And now David is telling Abiathar, do not be afraid as well, for the Lord of heaven's armies are with us. To conclude, I believe that David is telling us as well today, do not be afraid. It's interesting the way the author writes this. In Hebrew, he wrote this phrase as a command, something affirmative, uh, something with imperative, you know, a command, similar to God commanding Joshua, do not be afraid. It's the same thing, same grammar format. And similar to Jesus commanding his followers, do not be afraid. It's a command, but not just a command. It's a command with a promise. A promise that if we obey God's command of not being afraid, God will protect us. As long as we trust in God, he will guide us to do the right thing. We can be assured that God has full control of the consequences or the results. See, in this story that we just explored, we can see how damaging fear can be. Fear damages God's sanctuary. Where there should be food, shelter, peace, and protection in God's presence. Instead, when if fear is in our churches, there are lies, there is deceit, violence, opportunists. 
When fear is dominant, it's no longer a sanctuary. It's a place of lies, deceit, violence, and slimy opportunists. Fear also hurts people to the point of mental, physical, and spiritual suffering. When we act out on our fear, people get hurt. Fear also makes us do things that are irrational, sometimes illogical, sometimes immoral, and most importantly, ungodly. And hence, David is telling all of us today, reminding us today, commanding us today, do not be afraid, for it comes with a promise. The promise is, for the Lord of heaven's armies will protect us and will always be with us. Amen.